I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Waterfowl. Hello and welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. I am so excited about today's episode. I am bringing to you a guest. It's someone that I have admired from afar for a long, long time. Someone who um, has done a lot uh, of videography and filming, dog guy, and actually I used his dog training program to train Georgie with also some help of Chris Jobman with some audio podcast that, that we did. And it is Freddie King from Arkansas. If you have not heard of Freddie King, you have been hiding under a rock because he is a huge name in the waterfowl industry um, with a lot of what he had had going on with filming well before most people were doing it. I'm going to talk to him about that. and. Um, renowned dog trainer we're going to talk to him about that as well but again the main thing of this series is to try to hone in on what was going on with the migration during the 2023-24 season he lives in arkansas i think he hunts something like they have a 60-day season down there i think i saw he hunted like 55 or 56 days out of the 60 days in arkansas so we're going to talk to him about what his perception was of the migration I know a lot of people in Arkansas, Louisiana have really been um, feeling as though the Mallards specifically just don't get down there like they used to. So we're going to talk to Freddie about that. We're going to talk to him about how was the migration this year? Was it normal? Was it delayed? Did the Mallards get down there? Um, So last time we talked to Hunter Roanfelt up higher in the Mississippi flyway, and he felt like it was a migration as normal for him. And so far, we've talked to Chris Jobman. He felt like it was a migration as normal. We talked to Hunter Roanfelt. He felt the, it was a migration as normal. For myself here in the middle of, of Kansas, it was absolutely a strange, strange migration, way behind what it normally is, you know, a good month. So um, 
it's going to be interesting to see what Freddie's opinions are on that and, and what he experienced down there in Arkansas. I know that I talked to my friend Joel Strickland, and they had a really delayed migration where he was in Arkansas until that huge cold front in January, and they finally got the bird. So I'm kind of suspect that is going to be the situation with with Freddie and what he tells us. Um, but it'll be it'll be interesting to find out. So that'll be at least two people from the Mississippi Flyway there. Um, I've got Captain Perez lined up for the Atlantic Flyway. He is a sea duck hunter. I've got another one a little farther north in the Atlantic Flyway. And then we've got Jacob Caffrey from the Pacific Flyway. And I'm looking to get a couple other guests. And that'll kind of round it out as we just kind of pop around North America and talk to people about their season, but also about the migration and and how that they found. I, I'll tell you, I was surprised that Chris Jobin felt like it was a normal migration, and I was surprised that Hunter thought it was a normal migration. I figured it was well delayed for them as well. So we're going to get into that. That's going to be really, really exciting. And I can, I'm really excited to talk to Freddie about dog stuff. I, I'm going to try not to overdo it on the dog talk. For me, I am now transitioning from hunting season into training season. Last year, Georgie got her HRCH title, which is Hunter Hunting Retriever Champion title through the HRC. And that's not the highest level. The highest level is passing the Grand, which is like the Super Bowl of dog training events. But an HRCH title is certainly, it's a finished dog and it's, um, I'm really, really proud of it. I'm glad I was able to get it done. In fact, Beth and I made a little Georgie shrine wall here on the podcast room. I'm looking at it right now. I posted it on Instagram. If you want to follow me over there on Instagram, freelance duck hunting, but I'm transitioning into that training time. Georgie and I, uh, trained Saturday and Sunday of this last week. Those was our first two official training days as we prepared, prepare to move over from UKC and into AKC. American Kennel Club. And the goal for that would be to um, get Georgie titled over there. Um, we're not going to start at the bottom level over there like we did um, in HRC. HRC, we started out at the very bottom, which was started. We moved up to season and we passed finished, and that's the whole thing. And over there at AKC, we'll move right into master, which is the highest level. We'll jump right into it. It's pretty comparable. So, shouldn't have any, hopefully, we shouldn't have any problems with that. And I think it'll probably take us two summers to knock all that out and get her titled in her master. And then we'll probably head to the amateur national amateur national for the AKC, which is that next level. And and at some point I would like to get Georgie into the grand and entered in there. She's not ready yet, but um, with the help of Chris Jobman and spending time out there. And I think we can get her, I would think you can get Georgie ready. So I'm excited to talk to Freddie about that and about his dog stuff because I used his program, theretrievertrainer.com. Guys, it is the best. And I am not sponsored by him, and we have no partnership in any way, shape, or form. So when I say this, it, it's just I'm saying it because I'm, I, I really believe about his system. It's only $60 a year. Some of these other systems are $350 and up per year. And Freddy's is only $60 per year. It's unbelievably underpriced. So if you're looking into training your dog, theretrievertrainer.com, you get 
latched into their Facebook group. I definitely, definitely recommend you doing that. So um, let's talk about the partners and then we're going to get Freddie in here right away. I don't want, I don't want to prolong this because I just want to talk to him and spend as much time during this episode doing that as possible. So one, the number one way that you guys can support what I'm doing is to support the partners. And the first one I'm going to talk about is Final Approach. It's fabrand.com with your 10% discount code of FDH10. I've talked a lot about their gear, a lot about their equipment. Go over to fabrand.com and just look and see what they've got. Yeah, I think you'll be um, pleasantly surprised at the quality of their gear. Second one is Motion Ducks Decoy Spreader System. It's the best jerk rig on the market. Again, that's FDH10 for your discount code, motionducks.com. And on X Hunt, game changer. Best, biggest innovation to waterfowl hunting since the spinning wing decoy, I'm telling you. So check those out. So let's go ahead and without further ado, let's get Freddie on here and get talking to him. I've been excited about this one for quite a while. So here we go. I would like to welcome to the program, first time that he's been here, he was with Jordan and I over on the Duck Gun podcast a few years ago, but it's the first time I've had him here on the North American Waterfowler. It's Freddie King. How are you doing, Freddie? I'm doing just great, just great. Glad to be here, too. It's, uh, I'm, I'm glad to be back to sit down with you for a little while. Uh, are you? Do you get duck depression at the end of the season? Are you, uh, you excited know, about I'm the training honest. aspect? <laughs> I was looking at post, uh, you know, how your memories pop up on Facebook and I was yeah. talking about that exact thing today. And it's, you know, it's about 10, 12 days after duck season it ended and, and I do, I mean, it, it, it's, it don't really hit me till about a week after. And then, you know, and I'm putting up the mm. last of the decoys and stuff and then it starts eating on me just a little bit more. And that's, it kind of, that's when it sinks in and I, I do get a little bit depressed in all honesty, a lot more. I might have some kind of issues. I might need to talk to a doctor about it, but <laughs> anyway, yeah, I mean, right. it's just, but anybody, you know, when you soak your teeth in it, like I do 365, I mean, it's, it's going to hurt when season does end. So you're one of those Arkansas hunters that hunts almost every day of the season, right? Uh, pretty much. Mm -hmm. I, this year was, uh, hunted 56 days. And uh, 54, I'm with uh, one of my really good friends, but 56 days. And usually, usually I'm banging 59 or 60, 59 or 60. And I didn't quite make this year. So, so you guys have a 60 day season. Do you ever travel or you just hunt your guys is 60 and that's your season? Pretty much. I just hunt our 60 anymore. Now, years ago, I used to travel. Uh, I was also doing a lot of filming for other outdoor television shows. So I would, you know, if I was got there two days early, I might hunt or stay yeah. two days after everybody's gone i may hunt those sorts of things so so i did a lot of traveling and hunting back in those days but not anymore i've kind of i wouldn't say i've gotten tired of it but once you once you, you kind of do those things it's 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 hard to make yourself leave arkansas and especially with the dogs earlier in the year it's kind of hard to leave the the dogs and then of course you know this time of year we're starting to get them back in so and Arkansas is one of the last seasons anyway to close. So, you know, I, I don't know what it is, but it seems like like I'm from I'm from Kansas, and I I've hunted Kansas, Nebraska, Missouri. I've been to Arkansas before. I was at Cypress Crossings once. But people in my area, you just don't find people that hunt 
every day of the season. But you go into Arkansas, we in the South, that's like a cultural thing of like every single day. Have you ever stopped to think why it is that? Well, first of all, have you ever met people up any north of you that hunt every day of the season? I feel like it's a southern thing, and I'm just curious, like, why do you feel like the disparaging culture? Like, why is that an Arkansas thing, but you don't find it farther north? You know, I really don't know, and I've often thought about it, but I mean, I'm going to be quite honest with you. People didn't start actually hunting that much till probably the mid to late 90s, and it, and it's actually when the duck hunting fad kind of started getting going. So, cause mm -hmm. I, you know, before that we duck hunted, uh, weekends pretty much. A lot of the times with a lot of the places we hunted never even saw hunters during the week. And, you know, if you showed up the ramp, there might be 25 trucks where today there's 150 or 75 or 80, however many. And, uh, those ducks were left alone during, during the week. But, uh, the late, probably mid to late nineties, you started seeing people kind of shift a little bit. Guiding kind of started really getting, become a thing. Uh, everybody became a duck hunter because you know, the spinners. So <laughs> and, yeah, it so, became a lot easier. Oh yeah. You know, that's, I mean, it 100% turned a ton of people. People wanted to blame it on duck commander and all those kinds of things. No, it was the, our tools for killing ducks got so much better. And that spinner was the number one changing thing that, that put a lot more people out there chasing ducks. And with that came the fact that a lot of people got so ate up with it, like myself, that they, they started hunting, you know, pretty much every chance they got and left a lot of, a lot of people, you know, kind of quit duck uh, rabbit hunting, quit squirrel hunting, quit deer hunting and, or didn't do it as much. And, lean toward the duck stuff quite a bit, especially down here in the South. You know, it, it really is predominant. Don't get me wrong. We got a ton of freaking that gum deer hunters and coon hunters and everything else. We kill critters of every make model and style. And, uh, uh but when it comes to the ducks, they're kind of a little bit sacred. You know, one thing that doesn't quite make sense to me is that you hear about hunter numbers and waterfowl and, I've been told that there was more duck hunters in the seventies than there are right now. Like it's a, it's a declining <laughs> sport, but yet everyone you talk to mm, talks about how much more pressure there is now than there used to be. And those, those two things I have problems in my mind, understanding how those can both be true more, less hunters now, but everyone feels like there's more hunters now. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't get it either, other than if they're showing me the numbers, and I've seen them, it looks like there's way more duck hunters now. But now what you have is you have all those duck hunters hunting, you know, 35, 40 days, where before mm -hmm. somebody was getting a state or a federal stamp and possibly only hunting at the most two to three, four days duck uh, season. And yeah. And I, and I think that pressure now, because if you, if you duck hunt all season long, like I do, you will, you will see a few days, several days actually, where 
you're like, man, the season even open because nobody else is putting in, or you know, you, yeah, nobody's yeah. in the boat lineup, or nobody's at the gas station. What Noro's going? I need it'll make you even check your app, make sure you know waterfowl season is still open. So <laughs> right. that's kind of where uh, the only thing I can think of is, and and I, and I have to put myself in that own that kind of realm. And don't get me wrong, we hunted a lot more than average people back in the the late seventies and eighties. But still, yet we were we were pretty much working during the week. We'd hunt uh, some some afternoons as far as deer hunting and duck season come. It was real hard to get to school, you know, before <laughs> before uh, uh, the the first bell rang. So we didn't get to duck hunt as much. But during the weekend, you know, we were weekend warriors, and that's generally everybody worked. So that's generally, you know when everybody hunted and you still wouldn't see the number that you do. I'm, I'm trying to, to build it up as I saw it building because I, I'm keeping in mind one ramp that I used to always use versus how it is was then versus now. And, you know, now what's funny is, 45 days of the season, you can drive down there and there's going to be 25 trucks at the least where, mm -hmm. except for on just a few days, like I was saying, then all of a sudden it's going to be 175 for the, 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 the whole other time. And mm -hmm. what, what the only way I can correlate those numbers is now there's maybe only 60 or 70% of us that are the numbers, but there's 55% of that number are 45 day hunters. Right. So instead of being those three day hunters, I know I went the long way to try to explain that, but I'm sitting there, I can picture, I can picture yeah. back in the day, uh, pulling up to that ramp and knowing every single body that was there and there would only be four or five trucks. And, yeah. then, and I'm talking to 84, 85, that sort of thing. And then, uh, and by 97, 98, it was not that way. I mean, it got to where I wonder who that is and, and yeah. those sorts of things. So, and, and like I said, everybody became great duck hunters because of the tools that we, you know, everything got better from our guns, our shells, our duck calls, mm -hmm. to our spinners, our decoys, everything. That's when things really started exploding and, waterfowl became a thing but i know i kind of rambled there a little bit but definitely, no, i think that makes i think I, that makes sense well i mean for you for you first question i can believe it even though it doesn't seem like it that those numbers just don't seem right when you look at the amount of pressure that's on ducks today but right. but i could see if if the way that it that's the way it was explained to me and i could see it being that way do you mostly hunt private now, or are you still public land hunting a lot? No, I'm probably about 85% private now. But don't get okay. me wrong. I'll go public when he's right, I guarantee you. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you transitioned when you were younger, you were public, and then as you got older, you transitioned into more private? Well, it, yeah. Uh, but don't get me wrong. We had access to some really great properties when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And, um, we didn't have to fight the crowds, but you didn't fight the crowds. So it wasn't yeah. a big deal going to hunt 
the management areas. We didn't have to worry about, you know, so-and-so or pressure or any of that. Somebody shooting our swing ducks. We didn't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so hunting private ground was pretty much the same as public. And back then, you know, most of the time you wanted to be on public ground when the water was up. You know, you wanted yeah. to hit those timber holes and that's usually where the ducks were going to go. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have heard about this, but Kansas is on the brink of passing non-resident restrictions. Have you oh, heard yeah. anything about that? Oh, yeah. They'll be limited to Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It's it's. For, I've watched all of the commission meetings and listened to everything that's been said, and I think it's about 99.9% .9 sure that it's going to happen for next year, and that, that will include all of your Corps of Engineer ground. It'll include your national – or, I'm sorry, your federal – um, we, we don't have a lot of federal places, but we do have some that's going to include all of those. It will be um, pretty much everything except for like your navigable rivers. And um, there's a couple of, of walk-ins. I know that Arkansas at some point, I don't know what the time frame on this, but I know Arkansas enacted some non-resident um, restrictions and you probably lived through that. So I'm, I'm curious were you in favor of those restrictions in Arkansas when they were passed? And do you feel like they had a positive or negative effect? Oh, I was definitely for them. Yes, you can see. I mean, Arkansas was on its way to really, really being completely degraded. It's the, the, the resource, the timber and the resources there just by the sheer numbers. And, <laughs> and of course, being residents, you don't want, you know, the, the least thing you want to do is start having draw hunts or, you know, having right. to draw for blinds, those sorts of things. So the first yes. thing you got to do is start saying, okay, where's this excess coming to from and how do we deal with it? And of course it's non-residents. That's going to be your mm -hmm. first, your first line of attack. So limiting them. And it has been an extremely positive, uh, uh had an, an extremely positive effect in both, uh, the quality of the hunt, the number of birds and, and just just our overall sales and duck stamps and stuff really hasn't or licenses and revenue really hasn't changed since then so hmm. the the hunting's better the 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 amount of revenues pretty basically the same and to me that's you know that's a win-win thing but you know i mean like all sports, even us still, we're, we're whining about this and whining about that. And it doesn't matter. Every state's right. the same way. Yeah. Did, what, what, how did the non-resident restrictions work in Arkansas? I'm not exactly sure. I know well, you're, you're, there's only certain times you can hunt. How does it work? It's a 60, we have a 60 day season and non-residents can basically hunt 30 days, uh, only, uh, on, on actual state land so the federal grounds the residents can still come and hunt we haven't limited it. it's only on the state-owned property so some of your major mm -hmm. wmas that are that are uh green tree reservoir wmas that they're the ones that have limited exact access so that's another reason we haven't seen the decrease in revenue because those out-of-staters a lot of them are 45 day duck hunters they'll uh -huh. they'll just jump over to the federal ground you know so for the maybe there might be a five or eight day stint that they have to hunt somewhere else instead of their favorite hole on a, on a state owned piece of ground so they'll just jump to a different mm -hmm. piece of ground or they've leased a small piece of ground and hunt that with some buddies for a little while 
and and farmers will definitely tell you they saw a spike in their leases and you know just because of that right oh that's that's interesting i know um i i'm not against some type of regulations for non-resident in kansas i'm not for the current one with it being sunday monday tuesday i would like to see maybe something more like south dakota where we decide this is how much we can handle and and you have to put in for it at the beginning of the year something more like that framework i think um but that i mean in in all honesty i've done south dakota a ton and i've done the same and i thought that was that would be a great system i mean i I thought that would be a great system for arkansas to go to and i and i don't blame kansas because i mean there's no ifs ands or buts you know what's going on with y'all's turkey right now is because uh a Mm -hmm. lot of hunting pressure from outside and I, i was i was luckily one of the first ones that got to hunt kansas before all that stuff happened and i mean it was awesome <laughs> yeah, yeah. The turkeys are definitely in a bad in a bad shape right now. Yeah. Well, we'll see how that plays out. It'll be interesting to see when it passes um what kind of what kind of effect it has. Um let's transition into some dog stuff real quick. Um and you know I am co-host with Chris Jobman on the Flatliner Kennels podcast and he talks so highly of you, but I've never heard kind of the background story of how how did you guys meet and get to know each other? Well, Chris is an awesome guy. I've got a ton <laughs> of respect for that man. I, I mean, I really, really can't stress that enough. But now, Chris and I, we became great friends through the Super Retriever series. You know, I'm, I was okay. the, the main, I was the main camera guy on that, and uh, working for Shannon Nardi, of course, Dancing Dog Productions, and all that mess. And so, and when I it was would, airing on national television, Freddie, you were, you were, you were involved in that. Oh yeah, no, I was the I was the guy that was always in the back on the biggest set with the biggest camera, making sure that I could cover every single thing because literally I was oh, the only really? person. Well, I was the only person that knew could watch a dog and knew when it was going to cut right, and I could zoom tight on that dog and stay tight uh-huh. on that dog because I knew what that dog was going to do, how he's going to fade the contours and wind and 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 everything. Right. So. You know, I could follow the ball better than anybody else. That's so, so to speak. So, That's interesting. I didn't realize so that. So they put me in the back back there, and uh, and and that way I could always face the field and stuff. So, uh, and I and even though I was a dog guy then, uh, I learned a lot more watching them dogs from from my big perch up there and that big lens and watching you know how this dog did this and this dog did that mm-hmm. and the reason fine and a little bit of light difference a little bit different you know a short fall how dogs might might sway a different way or get pushed because of something or a little bit longer one you know and i, I learned a ton but going back to chris meeting chris there you know w- w- was through the super tr- retriever series and i mean we had a lot of tailgate discussions talked to, and he ran a ton of them you know i mean literally every single one of them so and yeah. then of course you know running the grand and other things too. So I'm yeah. tons of hunts, but but the Super Retriever series is where I really really got to know Chris. That's interesting. The uh, we have a, a the second episode of season two comes out next week, and we talked. He talked in great detail about that series and how much it did for getting people into more serious into dog training. And he was talking about all the names and, and just what that whole TV series did for how it upgraded the number of people who trained quality dogs. 
and what it did for well, the Well, it did. I mean, it showed people all over the country what <laughs> an actual truly trained retriever could do. I mean, a lot right. of people, you know, they, they, a lot of people, the, the, the backyard stick fetch, that was a big deal to them. Look at that dog bring that stick back to me. And now, now here all of a sudden, there's <laughs> a, a dog marking, you know, quads out to 350 yards and, you know, yeah. swimming 250 yards, triple entries and holding the line like a freaking just a, like he shot out of a daggum rifle. And, and yeah. you know, it kind of, it, it, that game really, 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 I mean, it really educated a lot of people, and I, I got to give Shannon some huge kudos on where the SRS SRS is today, because I mean, it's 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 really turned into something. Got a lot of respect for what she does and what all those folks that run this Super Retriever Series do. Right. What? How did you get into dog training? Um, is this something you've done since you were young? How did you get? Because that that's your pretty much your full time thing now right it is it is and i mean uh, and don't get me wrong i mean like everybody i I had to learn the hard way and uh you know Mm -hmm. back when the years ago my first dog well let me back up even more uh we've always had dogs whether we've had coon dogs we had retrievers we had rabbit dogs and and we pretty much had dogs all our lives Uh, i grew up with them and but what got me was uh, we were hunting a little old place over on Cash River. And I'm going to say this is probably mm, 87, 88. And some boys, they had, had motored messed up. And we hunted together. And they had a, a dog, a real nice dog. And oh, about the third duck that dog picked up and come back, never dropped it, that sort of thing. And there was a duck that had got crippled, fell on the other side. Well, he lined that dog up and went back. <laughs> and I was like, what the mm. heck is that? And anyway, and he commenced to blowing whistles and waving his arms. And this dog went to, and back then it was, you know, either a right back or a left back or a straight over, that sort of thing. You know, we didn't have all these angles mm. and all those kinds of things. Well, six, eight whistles right. later, that dog is picked, and I was hooked from that moment on. I mean, I was like, no, this is it. This, I've got to got to figure this out. So a little bit of talking with that guy and stuff, you know, I learned that, you know, there's some pretty, pretty, pretty strong folks out there training dogs like this. And Harvey Shue, who ran the Coca-Cola Duck Club, was my first contact. And old Harvey Shue was the guy that started a ton of field trial dogs back in the day and I learned probably some of my well I did there's no my actual training first started with him uh, under his, kind of his tutelage and watching him go through some dogs mm-hmm. and watching what he done. and don't get me wrong this was some hardcore stuff back then so but it kind of set 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 the tone for where I am today yeah um, and you're not currently, you don't still run the, um, like the grand and, and are you actively running trials anymore or are you just training? No, uh, no, just I'll train. Now I'll run the, what I'll do is I'll get dogs in now and I'll, I'll, I'll put their finished title on. And I would run if master, if I could enter a master every single time and, and 
sit there and hit the button and boom, my dog's be in there. I'd run masters, mm-hmm. but I can't do that. I got so irritated sitting at a computer. You didn't have this right. You didn't have that right. Get mm-hmm. half the dogs in and, and couldn't run. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I guess I'd break my computer and stuff, but you know, HRC <laughs> uh, run and finish tests is, is a lot. Of, getting into hunt tests, uh, uh, UKC HRC stuff is a lot easier. So I'm yeah, still running yeah. those and, uh, uh, and I'll get all my clients dogs to a finish level. And if they want something, you know, more than that, then 99% of those dogs go on to Chris Aiken. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. He, I he runs everybody. them out to the grand. That's it. That's it. Do do and you I, do you miss do you miss being doing more of the trial stuff ever, or is it just oh yeah. you just prefer no, being I, with the I dogs? I ran the super, I ran the SRS and stuff, and uh, and I miss it. Right. But don't get me right. wrong, I loved filming it. I love filming too. Just like I filmed tons of hunting for Echo and all kinds of other product manufacturers and stuff like that. I love the mm-hmm. the the filming part of it. So that was kind of a double edged sword. But the uh, the yeah the the running the dogs in those those bigger games you darn right I I liked it I enjoyed it uh, the the camaraderie the competition uh, uh, I, I really really enjoyed it and I'll probably go back to it one day <laughs> there's no ifs and well, you know yeah. once I slow down on the training part I may slip back into doing those a little bit more but uh, just like I was telling you about the filming and going off and all that. I burn up a lot of years and a lot of time on the road. And I just, it's just real yeah. hard for me to leave, right. leave for 15 days to go run the grand yeah. and, and then turn around and yeah. be home two days and go another 15 days to run the master nationals. And I got to give it up yeah. to those boys that do. I got to give it up. I mean, it's a, it's a tough road. It's a strong road. You got to be dedicated and you got to, you got to have some top notch dogs, that sort of thing. So, and I, I got to give a huge kudos to Chris Aiken and Jobman and, and best and all them fellas, you know, that do it 99% or well, they do it 100% of the time. They'd give every 150%. Yeah. But, uh, uh, doing it yeah and, their uh, schedule is unbelievable G- getting to know chris and his schedule it's just unbelievable i mean well no I mean, and, and being out there for a couple weeks at a time just seeing his daily <laughs> schedule i mean it's just insane just well, the logistics of running a kennel is unbelievably insane exactly exactly and and i mean and for them to have the the the, the the trust to leave somebody with all they got going on so that they can get on the mm-hmm. road for 30 days. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that, cause trust me, one little old, I mean, uh, you're talking about a daggum big old boulder coming off of a hill. One little old thing goes wrong. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a hell of an avalanche fixing to happen, but those guys keep it under control. They keep things going and, and, uh, you know, I'm just going to say it hell of a lot better men than me. <laughs> we guarantee. <laughs> so h- how did you, how did you transition from growing up as a duck hunter? How did the filming, whether it be dog stuff or duck hunting itself, how did those, how did you get into the filming aspect of it? Well, I mean, the, the, the funny thing is I kind of always wanted to film or hunt. So I don't know why. And I gradu- graduated high school in 86 and and 
took off to college. In 87, I bought my first camera, video camera, a big old super beta honking two-foot-long thing that shot on these big tapes <laughs> like the VHS tapes. And I just started, you uh-huh. know, I just... I just started kind of filming our own little hunts and stuff. And now don't get me wrong back in was that, that days, was your desire. You're just like, I want to film my hunts. Well, that was, that was the I driver just, for I, it. I just kind of liked it. Uh, as far as, uh, I'd already, my mom, she liked photography. So she took a ton of pictures of us playing balls, all our sports, all that kind of stuff, playing baseball, football, basketball, all the hunting stuff, the camping, the, the, the hiking, everything she took pictures of. And I kind of could see stuff being put together with those pictures. I said, you know what? I could do something with the camera. Well, what happened was uh, I ended up filming a bunch, got lucky, filmed my brothers killing some, you know, some nice deer. My dad, uh, we killed a few ducks and that sort of thing and did this and that and that and this. And uh, I'm going to say it's, it's somewhere like the 90, 91 or something like that. I went to, uh, Max and, and, uh, holy smokes, I'm drawing a blank here, but, uh, 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 not in hell. They were, had set up a booth there and they weren't even together at this time. They were, you know, they traveled together to all these shows, but they're sitting there and here comes this, you know, 22 23 year old not your old kid telling them about you know yeah i filmed this and that and we killed a couple turkeys and this mm-hmm. you know my brother he shot duck with his boat the other day and blah 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 and uh and that uh, filmed this and that and that and, and they just looked at me like you know it's it's kids <laughs> he's full of it you know what i mean so mm-hmm. right. i went home i went home and i had already kind of gained a little bit of equipment i had a a, a, a double track svhs recorder and i could sit there and, and just dub stuff real fast back and forth so i did that and put a, oh, several duck hunts on there real just quick clips a couple of deer kills some turkey stuff and went back to them dropped it and that was saturday night sunday in the morning i dropped that off to them with my number on it of course we didn't have cell phones back then and when i got in uh, uh monday my phone had two messages on it from these boys wanting to talk to me about filming so that's where things kind of got rolling. And then all of a sudden, Real Hunt in Arkansas, uh, a local show here uh, in the mid to late 90s, it started getting rolling. And the first year's worth of footage was pretty much everything that I filmed. So, mm-hmm. and things just kind of rolled. But I'm going to have to be honest, I had a construction company, uh, a built a construction company up through the years that afforded yeah. me the ability to kind of go and do what I wanted. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals 
are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. I bet that sure was an exciting time of life just to have that emerge and, and I'm sure you, that was your passion and just have that take oh, off yeah. for you. That had to be exciting. Oh yeah. I mean, it really was. And plus I had a business partner at the time that was, you know, he's like, go for it. And I mean, yeah. and, and, and don't get me wrong. We both had extremely strong work ethics. So it didn't matter. You know, we worked Saturdays and Sundays just as much as we were Mondays through Fridays. Oh, and, and I would take up slack when when he when I come back, I make sure that, you know, he had his time off, that sort of thing. But uh, the I was fortunate, like you said, I was fortunate and it was a great time because, I mean, I was starting I had some of the old shows, uh, Adventure Bound Outdoors. And and that, I mean, that's how old I am and that's how much I'm grandfathered into that part of things with Adventure Bound Outdoors, real, real uh, old final approach TV water dog tv i was the main camera mm-hmm. guy for it and uh and i mean i was i was doing that stuff and then done a little stuff with chad building before he was ever banded so mm-hmm. right anyway, so that's um how how much of your filming was on for waterfowl was on public versus private did you guys do quite a bit of public land stuff <clears throat> well it depended uh depend um if i was filming for echo Probably about eighty percent up was going to be on public, but mm-hmm. generally, if, when I was filming for other uh, uh, for other product manufacturers, whether you know it be a camo or decoys, what have you, um, we were filming on uh, private ground on most of those places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when when I started um, my YouTube channel and I was filming on, I'm a hundred percent public land hunter i just don't have any private we've always hunted public and i started filming and i I didn't start filming because i wanted other people to watch it i just wanted to remember the hunts and it was always my dad and i and he was getting older so i just wanted to be able to remember i started putting them on youtube people started watching them and next thing i know it was growing and i had to kind of confront this like i'm putting all of my public land places (laughs) for people to to watch and see and so i had to really do a lot of thinking about what impact is this going to have for me personally? Like, will I see all of a sudden hundreds more people in the places I hunt? What impact will this have for public hunting in general? And I'm, I'm curious as to your opinion on those topics, being a public, someone who's filmed on public land, looking back at your public land filming, do you feel like um, that, Film, your filming on public had any negative impact on those public locations or the public hunting in Well, I'd be a fool if I said that it didn't increase the, the pressure on those areas. And I mean, because mm-hmm. there's there's tons of people that, that I know are hunting areas now just because of those films. And I mm-hmm. mean, and non-residents and, uh, and even residents. 
people. You know, they jumped mm -hmm. around well. You know, so and so they were killing ducks up here. I know they hunt this area a lot and that sort of thing. So, and I mean, it, it it's not that hard to figure out where people hunt when they see you <laughs> there. So, yeah. and and then yeah. you know, with Facebook, social media, you know, stuff bouncing around even quicker. So. But yeah, mm -hmm. definitely a negative effect in, in certain ways. But then again, you know, we had a uh, game and fish that was also kind of wanting us to do things in that realm, make sure, mm -hmm. Hey, could you give us a plug here and do this <laughs> and that? So we would do that too. And, uh, but yeah. it wasn't until probably about halfway through, I filmed uh, the echo DVD series. I filmed, uh, uh, they had, uh, uh, timber heat one and two. Then uh, they had, before that, I had my own series called Bottomland Thunder. And then, uh, but we had Timber Heat 1 and 2. And then I filmed a 14 series. So for for uh, Echoes Mallard Madness. So then right there was 16 years of straight, actually 17 years uh, filming for Echo and them um, on public ground. And yeah. That's, that's, that's a, and we stopped that what about four years ago. So, I mean, that's a, that's and probably 85, 90, probably 90% of those hunts, I'm going to say are on public that we, we were putting mm -hmm. out to see. Right. So there's definitely. Do you film any, any of your, are you still doing any filming of your hunts at all for oh, yeah. either personal yeah, yeah, yeah. or. Yeah, production. we're doing a lot of we're doing a lot of filming. I'm still filming for Echo. I I give them just enough stuff to do social media content for the year. Nothing just over the top, but mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we still we still uh, do a ton of filming there. And then of course uh, with uh, TRT the Retriever Trainer Series, we're always doing filming with it. And, right. Plus, I've got product uh, uh, partners that I like to do a lot of stuff with as well. Right. I'm going to take this time to let everyone know that's listening is that um, TRT, the retriever trainer.com is uh, it's honestly, I, I think your people are stealing from you at that price. $60 a year. Freddie is unbelievable. That's almost free for, for the content you have there. $60 a year is unbelievable price for what you're offering well, everyone. It's, it's, it's what I trained my dog with and i'll tell you when i got georgie from chris georgie's a uh from flash and isla uh puppy and he said you either need to go on to freddy's he said two things he said aiken series or the retriever trainer.com it's like that's what i would think you should use for this dog and and i've almost exclusively used your system so i when i hear are you aware of the other prices that that people are charging for Oh, for yeah. oh, training yeah. videos these days oh yeah i know it's like unbelievable <laughs> have you ever thought of upping <laughs> oh, your price and, i mean I 60 dollars. well i mean here's the thing i'm not doing it for the money but it's, it's one of the draw it's a huge draw well i mean that yeah. and, and the I thing about if, if if here's the thing uh, if if it was about the money then all I'd say is, okay, it's going to cost you can buy the program for, let's say 180, 225, whatever. And then, mm -hmm. and then I'd wash my hands of it and not have to worry. But what I want to be is so intermixed and in the middle of everything that everybody that becomes a yeah. mem member, they have 100% access to me to help all the way through the training process. Yep. All they got to do is hit me up an email or a private messenger. And I will be quite honest. There's probably a, there's a huge handful of them that's even got my personal numbers 
that I'm, I've helped them through some mm-hmm. serious issues. That's say, listen, you need to call me, yeah. that sort of thing. But, um, uh, and, and that part, I just love seeing all these folks having some yeah. great, like you have with your pup. I mean, just, it, that's yeah. what it's all about. And it, it's not about the money. Trust me. Well, I, I can't say that it's not about the money. And in all honesty, I would even charge less if it wasn't for the carrier and the, the, the folks that's got to handle all the files. They cost me about 70% of that. But wow. said, well, I can vouch that everything you're saying is true because one of the huge assets of your system is the Facebook group. And when I was training Georgie, I would either text Jobman or, and he's so busy, but I would either get on the Facebook group and just post a question within 10 minutes, you've got three or four responses. And typically at the end of the responses, by the end of the day, not always, but normally you've given your two cents to the answer to the, whether you're like, yes, I agree with this. And you are overseeing that whole program and helping people. That's what I couldn't believe um, came that I, I just hard for me to believe how, how readily available you are to help people. I mean, I, I just was blown away by that because I know how busy you are and how many people must ask you questions. <laughs> you're spending a lot of time oh, helping people. It's, it's crazy, but I do. I really, really, really enjoy it. I, mean, it, I really do. And it's, uh, I know it, it's a labor of love. I mean, that's the yeah. only way you can stick with it the way that's the only way I can explain it. It drives yeah. peanut crazy in there because <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally like this the whole time. No, babe, you got to drive the whole way. I got to finish. When I'm, when I'm driving around with my wife, I'll let her drive. She drives when we're in her car, she'll drive. And sometimes if I'm getting too involved, I got this whole network of waterfowlers and people I communicate with and, and I'll just, she'll get this body language and I can tell, all right, this is like we're out here going out to dinner. I better put the phone. I'll just hand her my yeah, phone. Yeah. I'll just, oh, yeah. just take no, it. No, no, no. Put it in your purse. Put my phone in your purse. <laughs> yeah, no, She's patient yeah, with me, time. but there's a limit. <laughs> That's it. There's a time you got to turn it off and just here, put that away for me. So. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, one more thing I'd say before we transition into the migration stuff is, is that <clears throat> everyone, you do need to check out the retriever trainer dot com my the the pup i have now is the first dog i've ever really put effort into training my first dog i put no effort into and she was a train wreck my second dog i just wanted i used the water dog book um and i just i just wanted that dog to be steady that's really all i wanted just be steady and bring everything pretty much back to hand and i didn't care anything and then i got georgie and uh um, I kind of had a partnership with Jobman and I had never, I knew what his expectations were. And one thing he said to me on the phone when I was talking to him about doing promotions for him, and he's like, if I give you a dog, how do I know that you're basically not going to be incompetent and this high powered dog you have, you're going to make me look like a fool, so to speak. And so <laughs> I was, I was so motivated to like, okay, I've got this dog. I have to put all the effort I can in, into this dog. And then that's when I got on your site, went through the whole program. And I thought, you know, I, I start getting the idea of getting into the hunt test stuff. And I got into HRC and I thought maybe if I can just get, maybe I can get a finish title. Maybe I can get that HRCH. And I wasn't sure whether I could do it or not. Cause I had never, I had never tried to train a dog at all to like this. And so got that HRCH and I, fi- I figured, well, when I did that, I'll probably just be done and that'll be that. But I've done that a couple of years and now it's like, 
I told Chris, I'm genuinely excited to get into training season. There's no duck depression anymore. It's like a whole different season. I'm in this whole new oh, world. I hear that. And, and that, well, that's one great thing about dogs in training is, is you can kind of, kind of step away from the ducks and, and know you still got something of that to kind of mess with something to remind right. you. It's them well, dogs, the community. They are such a major part. Of and that whole community is such a fun group of people to interact with and talk to at the events and get to know and little local groups in my area and got, it's like a whole oh, different yeah. sub community of waterfowl hunting. It just extends the love for waterfowl hunting and dogs to 12 months. Exactly. Exactly. What a wonderful deal. So let's go ahead and transition into the migration. And um, I want your thoughts on this year's migration specifically being in the, I guess we would consider that more the lower Mississippi, not all the way south, but if you start the Mississippi flyway clear up north, we'd put Arkansas in more the southern area. How was the migration timing-wise this year? And then do you have any thoughts of the the global, not global, the is the migration shifting? I know a lot of people in Arkansas are really complaining about the migration and like the, the rice production's gone down. Just all of your thoughts about migration this year versus long-term. Well, I mean, I'm going to, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, it's not this and that. They're, they they whine about, you know, how season is and that sort of thing. But I can honestly remember a two-duck duck season and, and mm-hmm. hunting 30 days. So a lot of people say, man, the golden years. And I'm, I wrote a big article on, on my Facebook page about it. You know, they, people's like the golden years of duck hunting is gone, this and that. And I had to, in my opinion, you know, I straight up told them, I said, listen, the golden years of duck hunting, we just, we're in them. I said, never have we been able to hunt 60 days. Most of us fools are out there 50 days plus, and we're able to kill mm-hmm. six ducks. I can remember a time yeah. that, you know, we hunted 30 days. And if you shot a hen first by the point system, you were done. That was right. it. That was all you could kill. And that was, was that, the main when was that mid eighties? Was that mid eighties? Lower the, the, the early eighties. And, uh, and, right, okay. and, and, uh, and I can remember, and that's one of the, re- the reasons, you know, we had a two duck limit. Uh, we, we carried our bows with us to the, our holes in the woods because <laughs> literally the first group of ducks that came in, we would shoot, and kill our ducks. There'd be four of us out there and we'd kill seven, six to seven, possibly every duck that we needed to in that first group and be done. Oh man. And be done. So, and here we are doing all this work. And that's another reason you needed to have the pressure back then. So we started carrying our bows and that's, you know, that's what we kind of got known for back in there. We're shooting ducks with our bows. And, uh, because, um, it was, it literally wasn't nothing because you didn't, the ducks that were still coming in, you didn't scare them off because there wasn't no loud gunshots yeah. or anything. And they just start piling in on you and you shot your two ducks and got to see this big, crazy show. But anyway, that was a great time, but we could only kill two ducks and we mm-hmm. only hunted maybe, oh, uh, maybe I might've hunted 10 days of that boat that duck season. now like i just said this year i've got 54 days 54 days we got 10 times better equipment we got 10 times the guns we got 10 times the better dog we got 10 times everything is so much better we're able to we got all these properties we're seeing way more ducks 
don't get me wrong, we are seeing way more ducks now than what we were then. It's just in the last year to have the actual mallard numbers started dropping and not even still getting close to what they were in those times, but mm-hmm. they're they're slowly starting to drop and and a lot of people say, well, it's there there's more food up north. They don't have to travel. That might hurt just a little bit, but it's 100% mother nature. 100%. Right. And uh, yeah. and that's going to mother nature's going to change things. If oh, this year was one of our toughest roughest seasons that I can remember, but it's only because of we we had a little bit of a migration early on. We had a cold front right before season came in, but we had end of October. Zero water. Yeah, end of October, mm-hmm. and uh, right there around the first of November, and and we had zero yeah. water to hold these ducks. Zero. I mean, the yeah. water situation was absolutely horrible, and when season opened up that first morning, boom, they were gone. Those ducks bounced out of here, and from that time all the way through our entire season except for the last two weeks we we finally started getting some rains and the temperatures dropped so right there were literally 80 percent of our duck season was a wash uh because of of the conditions and even a lot of major clubs you know they were touting you know 40 to 50 percent kills of what they normally would you know, 60% mm-hmm. down, those sorts of things. Only a few places were really, really doing good. But uh, in, in 100% Mother Nature. No other no yeah. other thing but Mother Nature. And if if we, if, as long as we have good duck numbers, because it takes a lot of water in the spring up north to raise ducks. It takes a lot yeah. of, that prairie pothole re- region has got to be inundated with tons and tons and tons of places for these ducks to uh, do their thing. Uh, and and when, if that'll happen, then two to three years of good, good hatches and lots of ducks going back, we'll, we'll start seeing those numbers again as long as we get the cold fronts, the weather. I mean, we got to have the weather. Yeah. It ain't, we can have, we can have 10 times the ducks up there that we've ever had. And as long if we have a season like we just had, as far as the weather, we're still not going to see the ducks. That's just all there is to it. We've got to have the weather, and a lot of people can't get past that for some reason. I don't know why, but yeah. it's, they can't get past the fact you've got to have weather. So during that time of um, after the initial ducks got blown out, clear until that cold front, you guys were still hunting every day. What were your harvest numbers? Was there a lot of days you weren't killing anything, or are you just killing? What was let's what's like a bad hunt for you where you guys are hunting? Well, we would we were instead of us averaging maybe ten to seventeen ducks a day, we were averaging let's say three to nine, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So we dropped from three <laughs> to nine. We'd have uh, uh, with a overall average of maybe six six ducks per group. And that might be seven guys. Mm-hmm. So, and but I mean that's that's just right. the way. It what was. species were you were, killing at that time? Were you killing mallards? Fixing, well, no, that's what I was fixing. I had most of our ducks were going to be teal or or you know just off you know teal spoonies. <laughs> right. They 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 became a little bit more of a, 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 a little bit more <laughs> of a game species to us. 
but our mallards, I mean, literally, we didn't kill very many until the last two weeks. It was that bad. Right. Yeah. When do you normally start killing your mallards? Well, I mean, in a normal year, we can we can have some pretty doggone good first weeks. Uh, so, I mean, it, 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 on a normal and year. And you guys open up around Thanksgiving? And yeah, about Thanksgiving? A, week, a, week, yeah, a week before Thanksgiving. Yeah. So on a, on a normal average year, you're killing mostly mallards through the duration of your 60 days? Yeah, if we're hunting in the timber, we're going to kill all mallards pretty much. But where we hunt, mm-hmm. it's going to be, it's going to be probably about seventy five percent mallards. And then now here, the last couple of years, places I've been going, it's probably getting closer to being about fifty fifty. Well, a lot of right. teal too, or our teals. I mean, it's it's teal. It might be the mallard numbers might be dropping a little bit below fifty, but I don't mind shooting teal. I kind of like them birds myself. Yeah. The one thing from everyone I've talked to this year is the number of green wing teal that were killed this year was just way above average for everyone oh, yeah. that I've talked to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they saved a lot of our days. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. We killed a lot more teal they, this they year. They definitely than- saved our season. In all of November, I mean, in Kansas, we've got four zones. So, I mean, we've got big ducks opening up mid-October, and then the zones just kind of pop open. So you can hunt, you can hunt big ducks from mid October clear through the end of end of January, but November especially, we typically start killing mallards in November. It gets better as it, as it goes, but all November and a good portion of December was just the green wing teal got here by the thousands and thousands, and they didn't leave. They found good habitat and they just camped out. And it seems like they were killing a lot more mallards in Nebraska. Like they hung up in Nebraska more than south dakota nebraska we didn't really start getting on the mallards i mean some people were killing them in december but it it, i mean mostly that huge cold front got them for us too but we started to see some they were trickling down to where we didn't have a cold front but by the end of december even before that cold front there was just like subtly more and more mallards around all the time and then that huge cold front came and then they were here but it was we were about four four weeks behind on the mallards for sure this year. Oh yeah. And I mean, and I mean, that wouldn't come down. That's then. And it was that way, you know, for everybody. I mean, even as far North as you are and, and even I've got buddies that were in central Nebraska and, you know, their duck season was hurting because of the, the, the fronts that we had. Don't get me wrong. They killed a lot more mallards than we did, but they didn't mm-hmm. see the ducks that they normally would. Yeah, <laughs> but it's all you know, the strange thing. Nature. Strange thing, which I think this is I'm guessing this is drought related because we all up through Kansas and in, the, in central Nebraska. I mean, we're still in a, in a horrible drought, but like jobbing out there in western Nebraska. And I got another friend that lives in western Nebraska. They had a ton more mallards, even down around like the border area of Kansas and and uh, Colorado it's like the mallards kind of swooped west and even on that October late October cold front they came down to the west but stayed even like there wasn't many of them in north central Nebraska South Dakota border but they they kind of moved west and down which is I think probably drought related is my guess I don't know I'm just I could I, I could see that 
Yeah, I mean, I can see that because a lot of those uh, fronts were kind of pushing down. And uh, any mm. water that was happening was coming across that side and then going way south of us. And uh, mm-hmm. so I could see that because they were. they, uh, And those ducks were kind of staying where there was a little bit more H2O for them. That's what I'm guessing. I, I, this is year three for us uh, of the drought, and I'm just – I about had it. I mean, I had – honestly, I had about my best hunting season, duck season ever this year. Not quite as many mallards, but my overall totals were – is my best year. But just dealing with the drought and lack of water and all the people in the same areas, and it, I just I just ca- cannot stand prolonged droughts. It's just such a headache for everybody. Oh yeah, yeah, and and it's and it, I mean the quality of the hunting just goes down with it. There's no ifs ands or buts about it. Right. Well, let me see if there's anything else. Do you do you track your numbers? Keep um keep a little notepad or anything where you keep track of harvest I mean, data. I mean, we used to, we used to, and in the last few years, I just kind of quit it. Uh, now, some of the yeah. boys they they've got these fancy little books and stuff that I used to write everything down, and then. And then I just, I don't know, last few years, I just kind of quit with it, you know? So it's, uh, I mean, it is neat to go back and look at a lot of those things. I mean, I was pretty adamant about wind directions, which hole, you know, how deep the water, what the river was, who all hunted and who killed what, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So we, we named every, I named every species, wrote everything down, that sort of thing. And in the last few years, I just kind of, I just hadn't done it. Well, you've been doing it for a while as far as the whole hunting game. At some point, you've probably seen it, done it, thought about it, and it's just time to relax. <laughs> well, uh, I know one thing. I don't get tired of it, though. I guarantee yeah. you that. <laughs> yeah. When it's in your blood, it is in your blood, isn't it? Oh, I'm telling you. Well, I mean, it's, you know, everything's, uh, when, when you grow up in it, and it's part of your heritage it's kind of mm-hmm. you know it's going to be there for you know for your lifetime and now i've got a couple of kids now uh, some of the peanuts boys i'm passing it down to and kind of seeing that fire get rekindled again so they killed their first ducks in the timber this year and all that kind of mess so seeing oh, that happen great. that'll kind of fire you back up too yeah no doubt i I've told people before, sometimes as far as like my obsession of waterfowl hunting, I wish I had a dial that I could dial it down on myself sometimes. <laughs> it's just like, it's too much sometimes. <laughs> like at work. I, I need to be able to dial it down at work. <laughs> well, hey, the ducks will make you do some stupid stuff. Ain't no doubt about it. <laughs> oh, no doubt. No doubt. Well, I think that's all that I've got for you today. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on here and and talk to us and and give your insight and don't forget guys listening the retrievertrainer.com if you're looking to get into dog training it doesn't have to be the hunt test stuff there's a whole meat no. dog section and any type of training even you know your your kennel crate training i had never kennel crate trained a dog before and even people that are just getting a dog for a pet i'm like the best thing you That's can it. ever do is, is exactly. go through a kennel. It, it sets the tone for everything about your dog. And I've told so many exactly. just people with pets about that. It's like, you have got to go through that system. Anyway, anyway, I've taken up too much of your time. Well, I appreciate um, it. And I've had a great time. Yep. Is there anything, I don't know if you have any social media or anything that you want to tell people to find you at or, 
or well no anything? i mean just you know if you got dog questions feel free to hit me up here on at freddie king my my own page and it's a personal page facebook is have been at me to want me to go to that pro status whatever but i can't i can't keep up with nobody all right well you are a blessing to the waterfowl community so hopefully you will keep doing what you're doing for years and years to come freddie well, thank you so much. Until next time, you have listened to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast.